0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here on a uh, Wednesday night, the eve of the NFL draft. We're going to talk about some football, Eric.
1: Heck yeah! One of my favorite times of the year, where the Dolphins disappointment with draft picks and see where UCF guys end up. Right. I don't think you're going to be disappointed this year with the Dolphins. I think you'll
0: be. I think you'll be happy. I think you'll be about Recently, as happy as five. you were as you were last year with two. I think you'll be. I think you'll be pretty happy about it. So we're going to start by talking NFL draft. We got lots to talk about. A uh, great weekend for UCF tennis. Wow, what a uh, what a time they had! Both men's and women's winning the American. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about golf. The women are back in the NCAA tournament uh in the ncla regionals i should say uh and we also got the uh, baseball turning the corner a little bit here elo they're coming we hope they're getting they're Hopefully. heating up they're heating yeah, I, up.
1: right i gotta get i gotta go after some of the cynics out there the pe- you know i was very optimistic on the social media and they were very pessimistic so i got a question for those people you know what
0: it's general, it's you know? I, I am totally okay with you zigging when everyone else zags eric
1: yeah, we'll get, get into totally that later okay on. We'll that. get into that. Uh yeah. softball
0: also a little bit later and uh and a record new record set in UCF track. But uh we start with the NFL draft and for that we bring in our resident NFL draft expert, Andrew Glukov. He's in his uh, war
1: room. He's in his dis- disclosure. He's in the war room here,
2: right?
0: In uh <laughs> in uh that's why his that's why his audio isn't so good, because he doesn't have that fresh microphone that he likes to show off to us every single time. Drew, what's up, dude?
2: I, I am remote tonight. I am not at home. Are you trying to like get like secret
1: information on what the Browns are doing, or what who's going to take, or who's going to draft UCF players? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. If you, you have
2: Kevin Costner on speed dial. What's the deal? <laughs> oh, gee, I do not want to trade away uh, my hometown team's first round draft. pick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. We'll go. Ahead. All right, let's start. We're going to talk about the UCF guys that are that are going to come available, who we think is going to get picked, who we think is going to have a uh, an undrafted free agent situation. The the consensus right now is that the top two UCF players who could get picked and it could be either or who goes first are Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson, the two defensive backs. Officially, Richie's listed as a safety. Aaron's listed as a corner. Aaron's gotten a lot of pre-draft pub. I think Richie's kind of flown under the radar, but everyone's just like it. Richie's a no-brainer. He's gonna he's got to go somewhere. Um, I'm looking at uh, what is this drafttech.com because that was the first place that I clicked on when I when I was when I was Googling, and uh, and they have Richie as 30th overall, which would put him in the first round. I think it's a possibility that one of these yeah. two guys two guys could go late first round. It's a possibility. I'm not saying it's a definite possibility, but it's a possibility. Drew, who do you think is going first and and
2: when do you think they will go? Uh, I think it's going to be Richie Grant, but I think he's going to slide in the early second round. Uh, it's, it's more of just a demand thing. There's more demand for corners. And one of the things that makes Aaron Robinson so valuable in the corner market is his versatility. One of the things that Randy Shannon used him for is uh, he used them like to grill peppers, except, you know, as, as opposed to being a safety, but he moved him everywhere. He played corner He uh, on the outside. He played against the slot. He played as a third linebacker. He was very versatile, but he's obviously undersized for that linebacker aspect. But that, that gives a lot of, a lot of knowledge and experience that translates well to the NFL. But Richie Grant is, is better as far as positional rankings go. I depending on who you ask he's top three he's one two or three he, you know just somewhere in the middle of there and i mean he he looks real good and, you know two-star prospect has really grown and I, I think ultimately grant will be the first guy picked only for the fact of of need you know interesting like because i feel like could either of these guys like
0: change positions like I know Richie's listed as a safety but could he move to corner to pay depending on where he goes and likewise could Aaron Robinson possibly move to safety at all or are we just thinking that that's where they're locked in right now I feel it's like it's more likely Richie could kind of play both could kind of play both positions what do you think
2: uh well from his from his positional drill uh, analysis I mean he he covered like uh Grant uh rich grant covered like a corner but is but is pl- is playing as a safety. So, I mean, could he convert? Yeah, he could convert. Do I think he will? No, I think there's more of a chance of Aaron Robinson converting yeah. because he's already shown proof of that versatility. Uh, he he can play center field. He can play you know uptight on man, and he can play uh, as a as a zone backer. So, uh, if anyone's going to move positions, it's going to be Aaron Robinson. But I think both are pretty locked in where they're at.
0: All right. So you're saying day two for both of them.
2: I'm saying uh, day two for both of them on the early half of day two.
0: Okay. Who's the next guy who's going to go off the board? We've been hearing a lot about uh, uh, you know, Tay Gowan poss- being a possibility. Tay certainly has the size to be an NFL defensive back. Um, there's been some grumblings about Jake. Maybe, could Jacob Harris even get be the next guy selected? Um, who do you like as the third guy to go?
2: Uh, it's Tay Gowan. Uh, he, he looked really good in 2019. I, he did himself an NFL disservice um, by opting out of 2020 and then not coming back to school. i uh, not going to judge him for that decision. Everyone does their own thing, but from a strict NFL standpoint, he did himself a disservice because he only had one year at UCF. That's not a lot of film. Uh, you know, sometimes it works out really well, like, like with Mike Hughes, but Tay Gowd needed a little bit more. That 2019 defense was stout. Uh, statistically, uh, the best defense uh, in the Frost-Hypel era by far was that 2019 squad, and he was a big part of it. So, I mean, you, you have very high hopes for him. He, he didn't look all that rusty uh, going through his pro day. A little bit here and there, but for the most part, he looked pretty smooth. Uh, he had a good shift within his hips and was able to move rather well but you just wish there was more film but I, I think he still could end up being a day two pick maybe third or fourth round uh, at the no, fourth at the worst but I, I think third round is a very realistic op- uh, a very, very realistic observation for uh, for Tay Gowan Elo go ahead well
1: I I, I first of all, first of all I, I... I agree. I think Richie Grant's going to be the first player. Mel Kuyper, by the way, who released his final board. This is the board they're going to highlight depending on which coverage you watch. If you watch the Kuyper version on ESPN, he's got his big board. He's got Richie Grant number 50 overall. Uh, He's the number two safety ranked in Mel Kuyper's board. And he actually wrote about Richie Grant, which I'm actually trying to grab right now. He's very high on Grant. He's got uh robinson 76 on his board and he's got uh gat mcgowan at like 96 from what i'm looking right now at this board on espn plus by the way as we provides content as well another reason why it's not just
0: streaming it's also plenty of content right It's
1: just the content i'm giving you people right now it's kuiper's big board right the lead in so uh i think Grant's a round two to round three i think uh, i agree with you andrew on your you know there as far as where he's probably ends up, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm I think I would argue. Let me ask you both this. I can make the argument that Richie Grant maybe is the best UCF prospect in the NFL draft. I know you're going to say Mike Hughes. That's kind of a, you know, he transferred out of Carolina one year. If you want to count him, that's fine. But I'm talking from a guy that's played his entire career at UCF. Richie Grant might be the best UCF prospect they've had in the NFL draft and maybe a closer to a deck since when, since when? I think it's been a while. Well, I don't know. You tell us since when. I I think you could go back a decade. I think he's better than all the guys that have been drafted recently. I think he could be a Pro Bowl safety. I think he is that good. Uh, you know, and and I really believe that he's going to get drafted. So I would be surprised if he wasn't the first UCF. I guy I i, I
0: I'll, to be honest with you. I think that whoever it does take him, I think if they just, if you know if he goes where you say he's going to go, and I do think that's probably where we go early second round. He's going to be a steal. People are going to be looking back on that saying, man, look at all these teams that passed on Richie Grant. Yep.
1: Here's what Mel Kuyper says on on his article about Richie Grant. Grant is one of my favorite players in this class. He could play as a deep safety or close to the line of scrimmage. He has 10 interceptions and four, six fumbles in his career. And then how about this for a stat to know? Richie Grant has committed one penalty in 2,381 defensive snaps. (laughs) that's crazy how about that
0: that's (laughs) That's first of all that's a hell of a stat second of all holy smokes Richie
1: Grant (laughs) it's remarkable right like I'm telling you I think he's a steal I think he's going to be a pro bowler I think he's better than all the secondary guys UCF has produced um and I'm trying to think the top of my head right now I could make the argument that he's the best pro prospect if you want maybe since Bortles since Bortles Because Bortles, you know, went number three, so you have to count him. Well, there's a
0: blazing hot take. Go ahead, Andrew. I gotta
2: say, um Bortles was overrated at three. He was he was drafted because of his size more than anything else. Um obviously he he had not lived up to expectations as a third pick. But I, I that's that's not really that's not really, you know, a fair comparison. I think that's actually selling Grant short. Uh Okay, you want to go further then? You want to go further? Okay. I'm fine with that. Well, yeah, I I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean uh, he's he's done it all. And and to prove that once again, stars don't really matter. He was a two-star guy that no right. one really Agreed. cared about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and look and look how he developed. I mean, it was all about, you know, you know, the cerebral aspect of, of, of developing. Uh, I think, you know, the the closest guy. That, that it qualifies is, is Brandon Marshall at that point. Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: And he was a third Who, round pick from a pound for pound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like that comparison. I like that comparison draft, you know, after completely tearing it up in the Oh uh, five Hawaii bowl and everyone took notice, uh, got, got bumped up to the third round. Cause originally no one really paid much attention to Marshall because Mike Walker was the guy everyone was following you know, as far as UCF receivers marshall's had an outstanding career and i i think grant's in a great position to do to do the same i, hope I agree end up in the that's a good season. comparison
1: it's a good comparison because i know some people in the audience right now are like what about game davis what about the what i'm saying is i think richie grant and brandon marshall i like that comparison because Braven's had a hall of fame career nobody really you know thought that at the time when they drafted him but he ended up having i think richie could have that type of impact that's how highly i think of
2: him well, and the and the thing about Gabe Davis and I'm scared because I think Belichick's going to steal him too. <laughs> I don't I don't want to make a dig on Gabe Davis. That's not fair to him. Uh, the problem with Gabe is, is is the fact there's not enough data on him. Right. Uh, he just he's he, he had a, his rookie year and that's it. And and it's not fair to, to to judge against him for just that one year. It's not like he flamed out. No, he's got a lot of potential. But I, I think and he had a pretty good year. rookie
0: year. To be fair, he had a
2: great rookie year. And I think the, the the, the storm and he'll have a nice
1: career. And I think he'll have a good NFL career, but uh, I'm speaking highly of Richie that I think he could be a pro bowl guy. Like, I think he could, he could be a game changer. I really do. I really do. I love his game watching Mm -hmm. him in person. I mean, Jeff, you've seen him up close. He just has a knack for the ball. That's why I agree with Adrian. I would not move him from safety because he knows he remind he's like a poor version Ed Reed. When I saw Ed Reed at Miami. He's not. It's not Ed Reed. I'm not saying he's Ed Reed. I'm just saying he's got those knack that he's around the ball all the time. And I think NFL the, teams. Come
0: on, the poor man, Ed Reed.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. The guy that came to mind for me was Eric Turner. Of course, I, I'm a Cleveland guy, so uh, there you, you go. Wait, got to turn the clock back a lot. Uh, you know, rest in peace, man. Uh, but uh, Eric Turner was was an outstanding safety. Had a knack for the ball. Was able to make really good tackles. Uh, and that's something that Richie Grant also does that's unheralded is he makes tackles too. Uh, He definitely plays bigger than he is. And I think he has a chance to be a real game changer at his position because, uh, you know, most safeties are either one or the other are either a hard hitter or they got hands and he's got both. Yeah. Now, interesting about, I want to
1: bring up the Gowan versus Robinson. Robinson will get higher drafted. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, Andrew. I've been reading more and more, even NFL scouts have said, and if it if it's close between two t- uh, players, they're gonna pick the guy that played this past season over the guy that skipped the year. So I think that could hurt Gowan a little bit. Although let me defend Tay; he was very open on why he made that decision. He's a father. He was he, he's thinking as a father. So I don't I don't yeah. think we should. I don't I don't think he cared about hey if I drop around. I think he he didn't care where he was gonna land up in the draft. I think he was worried about his family first, and I think he figured you know what wherever I get drafted I get drafted. So that, that's kind of my stance on that. But let yeah. me
2: go ahead. I would say, I, I and, and I kind of hit it before, I, I want to make sure that no one thinks that I'm dogging him for making the choice that he did. Yeah. Uh, I probably would have made the same in the same situation. Uh, family's very important to me too. Uh, that That's I, – I was just speaking strictly from the NFL standpoint, he did himself a disservice because it probably hurt him in the draft. Sure. But uh, you know what? If you get drafted, all you got to do is get in and let your play do the talking.
1: Let me ask you both about these two guys, and then we'll move to other guys. Robinson is obviously the higher prospect, you know, and things like that. Could we see a scenario here, though? Because this has kind of weirdly happened to UCF. I think back to Josh Robinson was the big prospect. The guy playing opposite of him was the afterthought named A.J. Bouye. Well, it turns out Bouye had the better pro career for various reasons. Robinson had injuries, things like that any chance we could see this where, yes, Robinson gets drafted higher, but maybe Gowan is the guy that lasts longer, has a better pro career. Because I really liked him when I I, saw him in the field 2019. I think that
0: depends a lot on which teams they go to. Agreed. But I I, I, I don't think that there's anything that we can, I mean, sure, there's a possibility that that could happen, but I think I I like Gowan a lot. I don't think that that has, I don't think that that has, I don't think that where they get drafted, you know, in terms of which slot they get drafted and has any bearing on that I think it entirely well, I'm just saying on if you have which to make teams them- pick them up and where and the injury luck I think you mentioned that's part of yes. it yes. um I, we can't really say I don't think that I don't think that's that's fair to evaluate that
1: I just I personally like Gowan better than Robinson uh and I know I'm in the minority on that but just as far as watching him and it's tough because one took the year off and things like that I know Robinson has more upside I just think Gowen's going to be that. There's always that secondary guys that get drafted later in the day in the back end that end up being on the roster for a decade.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Let me ask, Drew, let me, let me ask you about the offensive side of the book. Cause kind of not a whole lot going on for UCF in terms of early in the draft. Who do you think is the first UCF offensive player to be drafted?
2: If any, uh, I think it's gonna be Trey Nixon. Uh, I think he's the the, the, the most prototypical player on the offensive side. He's got, you know, He's a little bit short, but he's got decent size. I want to do a little over six feet tall. I don't have the information in front of me. Uh, You know, he's got, he's got a little bit of size. He's got strength. He's got speed and he, he, he's got hands. I mean, he's, he's shown it all. And uh, I think he's got the closest to the complete package on the offensive side of any of the players. Uh, and then that'll warrant him getting the first draft pick as far as as far as the offensive side.
0: Uh, Jacob Harris made some big news for himself at the com- at the combine at the, um, at the pro day. Um, I mean, you can see it, right? I mean you could see the best case scenario happening. He's six five he's he's you know 220 some 220, 230 pounds, big NFL body nice big target for some quarterback to throw up to. We know he's fast. He's, we know he's strong. Um, the question is, can he, you know, can he eliminate the drop problems that he had at UCF? Do you see him getting a shot in the draft? Or do you see him maybe being like a UDFA project?
2: Uh, I, I could see a team taking a flyer on him. You know, late sixth, seventh round, uh, low risk move. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't teach size. You can't teach speed. Uh these are, these are intangibles that, that you know, either you're gifted with them or you're not. And, and Harris is a physical specimen. I mean, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's agile. He's got everything, but he's got hands made out of stone. Uh, one of the talks is moving him to the tight end, which actually would be a, nat- a very natural fit for him. You, know, you put a 15, 20 pounds on him, which an NFL team should have no problem doing. And he's even said that he's open to moving positions. Uh, tight end would be a, a normal fit for him, especially for that yeah. size.
0: Yeah, I feel like he's uh, he, he could is, almost be like Evan Ingram in that respect, right?
2: Yeah, and the, and the thing is, you don't have to have great hands to be a great tight end. You can be a blocking tight end. Uh, you just he just has to be taught the technique. And you know, I could see a team making a project out of him because if it works, you've got uh, a, a great physical force there. If it doesn't work. Hey, no, we try. It's low low risk investment. I can see, I can see a flyer being thrown on him. Uh,
0: one of the guy now, okay, the guy who I think is like everywhere. I don't just go to, unlike Eric, I don't just go to Kuiper. I kind of go a whole, a whole bunch of different places, and I try to
2: figure out a little.
0: I, I kind of got, I kind of like create like this bell curve in my head of where I kind of see guys ranking. The one guy I cannot get a read on at all from any of the rankings, is Marlon Williams. I've seen him as high as 123rd. Um, I've seen him as low as not being drafted at all. What do we know about Marlon Williams?
2: Marlon Williams is a tough one because he, he's like Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. Uh, he's, when you watch his game film, he does things so well. He, he He's great at route running. He's got great hands. He can block. He's got agility. He can avoid tackles. He has field awareness.
0: Unbelievable then, hands.
2: Oh yeah! And then you put him in the drills, and he was terrible, just dreadful in his measurables. He's he's undersized. He's he's under speed. He's under uh, agile. Uh, basically, everything that you don't want in a wide receiver from the pro day. That was him and his measurables but when you look at game film it's a completely different player uh, i mean he he's a, a great downfield blocker which you needed in wide receivers uh, that's one reason why he ranges so much and the problem is the the nfl sometimes gets stuck uh with this idea of you know we want you know big well i've got news uh let's look at my cleveland Browns. jarvis landry under six feet Odell Beckham, under six feet Uh, you can be good and not you know have huge size or huge speed. Because jarvis landry had a terrible 40 uh before he was drafted Uh, the key is he needs to get on the field and and i can see uh, another team taking a a flyer on him late Uh, i i think he's undervalued Uh, i think he's a fifth round value as far as a player but i him falling out of draft is a very, very well. The problem is from situation. a tape,
1: the problem is really he had that one big year, right? Like he was kind of a role receiver, he didn't really stand out elsewhere. Plus, he had that foot injury at the end of the year, which we don't know a lot about, but I'm sure NFL teams do.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> excuse me. And uh, that that kept him out of the uh, out of the bowl game. I think the, in the last game, uh, he wisely decided to focus on healing. Uh, there was no reason for him to play the bowl game at BYU. Uh, they definitely didn't need to play that game. It was a cluster to begin with. <laughs> but uh, I'm mean, the the truth is, you're right. Uh, he he was always the other guy. You know, between you know Traquan Smith, uh, Gabe Davis. I mean, he was always the other guy, and and it wasn't until 2020 that he had a chance to shine, especially with Trey Nixon out getting hurt. When Trey Nixon got hurt and he was out, uh, uh, Jalen Robinson started started taking over. One of the knocks against Marlon Williams, which is a knock, it was the same knock that hit Traequan Smith and the same knock that hit Gabe Davis and will probably hit Trey Nixon, is they're viewed as system players. You know, you have this offense designed to just fly down the field, uh, and, and you basically are just speed burning. Uh, that that's that doesn't show much technique to it that's just you know just physical power and and it's one reason why if you look at the rankings for quarterbacks uh dylan gabriel's not ranked as high as people would think he was and it goes back to the fact he's viewed as a system guy Uh, i think this will be a great opportunity in 2021 for him to shake that moniker because
1: with the with gus with gus especially
2: yeah yeah with with an offense that's a lot more traditional in its short to medium range play not not focused on the deep ball all the time, but uh, that's going to dog Marlin in the draft uh, more so than anyone else, because that's what his, his yardage was built on was built on those, you know, those plays that end up being downfield down the sideline. And and that's not what the NFL's about. Yeah.
0: The last two guys we got to ask you about are the two backs, mm-hmm. uh, Otis Anderson, the slash back, obviously. And, Uh, Greg McRae. The biggest issue in looking at both of their evaluations is you know, hey, really talented, super fast, but they're small. So, UDFA projects, both of them, are we thinking?
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, I think Otis has a better chance of sticking because of his experience as a return man. Uh, You can be a small guy and be a return man. It's the same thing that may keep Adrian Killens in the league for a little bit. Uh, But you know, very rarely do you have a guy that size, you know, excel in the league. Right?
0: Yeah, he's five, Greg, listed at 5'8, 179.
2: Yeah, the, the last guy about that size, his name was Mark Dunn, who really excelled in the NFL. I mean, he was about 5'8, eight, buck 85. Well, well, let's, well, I mean, you know, Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles was, was was incredibly built, though. Right. He was, he was built like I mean,
0: a bowling ball yeah
2: yeah that's different uh, you don't have that with either mccray or anderson uh they're not built like a wrecking ball uh they're built more like a typical you know small scat back and you know there's 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 a possible place for them in the league but I, it's going to be really hard to latch on uh one of the big things i saw against greg is he hesitates a lot and you're gonna have to to you know Make your move through the hole a little bit quicker in the NFL. The play doesn't always develop for you. Uh, you have to be able to make quicker decisions. But I, mean, if, if they talk to to work done and try to go his, you know, go to that school of running back, I mean, there, there could be helpful. I don't think either is going to stick, though.
0: Yeah, Greg McRae is also listed at 5'10", 182. Yeah, and I, I think one of the interesting. I'm looking at Lance Zerline at the NFL. His uh, his uh, an analysis, which I think is. You know, thin, linear frame, tough to overcome in the eyes of NFL evaluators. But his tape, he has tape showing his talent as a slasher with plenty of heart. Sees run lane development faster than many running backs in this draft and his smooth processing from his eyes to his feet. That's all true. You know, And I think that's what that's what made him the leading rusher on this team two of the last three years. But again, it, you're just going to have some teams that it's a we hear this quote all the time, right? It's a numbers game. We're just going to see too many teams that look at it, look at him and say, if it's a choice between, you know, a guy who's going to be like our fourth running back and special teamer, right? They're going to choose the guy who's like 6'1", 205, as opposed to a guy who's 5'10", 179. And it stinks because I would love to see Greg McRae in well, in an NFL uniform, but...
2: Yeah,
0: especially you know, in a position
1: tough. that right now is not a priority in the NFL. Teams True. don't go out of their way to draft running backs.
0: And the other, and the other thing is too like Greg didn't catch that many passes. Nope. And and to be honest with you, Otis didn't either, although he was a receiving option. I mean, obviously he was listed as a running back/ slash receiver, but in, and we know him for making big plays in the passing game, right? But in terms of sheer volume of catches, uh he really didn't have that many, especially I think, you know, heading into last year because I felt like Heupel used him way, way more in the backfield than he did outside. Right, Drew?
2: Oh, yeah. It was more Scott Frost who used him as as uh, a utility player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heupel used him more as, as an exclusive running back. And, and they didn't do it too many checkdowns either. Uh, that, yeah. that was actually one thing I noticed during the spring game this past month is the fact they were using the running back as a checkdown a lot more. Uh, which is actually really encouraging because, you know, you're going to need sometimes that third and fourth read on plays as opposed to just force it in there and hope for the best.
0: Yeah. Do you see, do you see like Otis as maybe like a, kind of like what I thought, you know, Adrian Killens would be like kind of a Tyreek Hill sort of gadget guy.
2: I mean, he could be, he's more experienced at returning than Adrian Killens. Killens is just a flat out burner. Otis Anderson, because he's not as fast as, as Killens, uh, is a little more savvy running the ball.
0: Although that's not to say he's not fast.
2: He, 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 not to say he's not fast, but I mean, Adrian Killens is really fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, I guess you could say that's not a dig. It's, it's kind of like trying to say uh, you're not as fast as Usain Bolt. I You may be great, but I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Last word to you, Eric. Well, let's make our predictions here. So let's see if when you guys agree, disagree here. So I think we all on the same page. Richie Grant, round two, round three range.
0: I'm thinking okay. Back, yes.
1: Let's let's do let's
0: do it this way. I want to do it this way. Let's do which guys go day day one, day two, day three? And then which guys go undrafted. Um I'm thinking nobody on day one, although if we're lucky, we might. Day two, definitely Aaron and Richie. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, I I go with uh, I agree. No day one. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with you on that one. Uh, I think uh, Gowen's gonna miss out just a little bit. He'll probably go early day three. But uh, Robinson and Grant definitely day two.
1: Derek? Yeah, I I'm trying to remember the round. I'm still getting used to this new format. It's I mean, it's first start. round is
0: first round is day one. First round only. Yeah. Round two and three on. It's like they took the. Remember where it used to be the first two days? Yeah. They took the, the first day and split it into two days. So the first round is primetime day one. Day two is two and three. And then round four through seven is day three.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, granted, Robinson will be day two. One goes maybe late, mid to late second round. Maybe the other one goes third round. I think Grant will be the first guy taken. Maybe Jacksonville, you know? Maybe Urban.
2: Gets you know
0: what? I just uh, don't. don't I hope whatever not. you.
2: Jacksonville's where careers go to die.
0: <laughs> Please don't send him to Baltimore. For some reason, my entire, my entire, every, I, I keep thinking. God, Richie Grant is just a tailor made Baltimore Raven. It could be. You're player. right.
1: That's a good one. No.
0: And I could don't be. want it's him to point. go to Baltimore because no. I can't no. stand no. No. the Baltimore maybe, Ravens. Maybe he could
1: be a Steeler, too. You never know. <laughs> uh, Steeler
0: would be interesting.
2: Uh, yeah, I I don't agree.
0: tell that to Drew, Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown fan. You shut here. your
2: filthy mouth, Eric. I don't <laughs> want him as a Steeler. I don't
0: want
1: him as a Raptor. <laughs> well, well, then your team should take him and prevent and avoid that.
0: Yeah. How about you guys draft him?
1: I would say Gowan round four five, so I would go with D three. I personally don't think any offensive players will get drafted. If they do, I think it's round seven at best. I think I, I agree with Andrew. I think the system knock of this plane in a system, I think will hurt these guys. I think they're all free agents. I think
0: we're gonna get Tay on early day three. I think we're gonna get I'm gonna go out on the limb and say we're gonna get Marlin late day three and Jacob Harris late day 3 and then Otis and McCray and Greg McCray go undrafted. I would love to see them drafted believe me, but I just it's 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 a, it's it's the NFL draft man. And at that point to be honest with you it's like you'd rather go undrafted. Right?
2: Yeah, it, it gives you the flexibility to the You can of pick, pick where you team. want to go. Right. And and um, you know, sometimes it looks like you're picking the right spot and it doesn't always work out like like Nobel clark the other year where it looked like he had a a sweet spot and it just didn't work out uh but i i i got zero on day one i've got uh both robinson and grant on day two i've got gallon trey nixon and and I'm going to put Jacob Harris in like like the end of the draft, you know, like a day. Ah, So both of you are
1: optimistic here. Okay.
0: I I think that, I think that those measurables are just going to be way too much for someone to pass up in round seven.
1: It's going to be the, the, you know, we can fix him. We can, we can teach him. Well, there are, well, the jets are in this draft, so there would be the team to be dumb enough to do do that.
0: Don't do that to Jacob, please.
1: I mean, come I mean, you got to <laughs> oh, catch yeah. the football. You got to catch it up. So Marlon Williams right, is a better right. football player. Like this is just the problem with the draft. We overthink <laughs> this stuff sometimes. And not us, but I'm talking about the draft people.
2: The draft nicks. Yeah. The draft so, people.
0: Are you, are you talking about like people in front offices or yeah, like Yeah,
1: I think they overthink who this build stuff. Build content for a living. No, no, not the I think the people that make the draft picks. I think they overthink this stuff sometimes and they get too cute with you know, like the Ma- the Orlando Magic's the great example. You don't want all the Magic right now in the bottom because they keep drafting guys with uh, upside and wingspan, but they're not actual basketball players, and that's why they're not as good, okay? They're not going to find Giannis in every corner. So I think now, granted, at round seven, can you take a flyer in Franks? Why
2: not, right? Whatever. But um,
1: again, there. I like getting football players. Yes.
2: I'd like to point out that the Orlando Magic beat the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers tonight.
0: Wow. That's not exactly a feather to stick in your cap there, Drew. That. Just, well, isn't that I mean, good the news, isn't that good to tell news you. for the
2: Cavs? Isn't that good news for the Cavs?
0: Yeah. They kind of did the, the Cavs a favor, didn't they?
2: The, the Cavs were bad. And uh, if I'm correct, they were missing Colin Sexton anyway.
1: Yeah. Wink, wink. Okay. Wink, wink. It's called trying to get draft lottery balls ready to go, man. But- no, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Colin- we'll see. Look, it's nothing against Franks. I just, I think Marlon's the better player, but I kind of agree with you guys. I think he's going to get knocked for a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. There's so many good receivers in this draft that I think at some point it's going to get cut off. And I don't think those guys get drafted, I think. Uh, and we've agreed, and I agree with you guys what you've said about the running backs. But we'll see. You, may, you might All be right.
0: right. All right. Well, we're going to leave it right there. The NFL draft begins on Thursday, Woo! April 29th. Uh they're ha- they're holding it in your in your hometown is that right? Yeah, Church?
1: Cleveland. It is. Isn't that uh, why I, you're uh, that's why you're in the undisclosed look. You're really in
2: Cleveland, aren't you? You're in Cleveland right now. Well, uh truth be told, I will be in Cleveland in a couple of months, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Draft uh, over by then. A,
2: a a friend who runs a media um business and he's actually helping do stuff for the draft from uh a media presentation standpoint, he was actually he actually was the DJ for my wedding, and uh, hey. I've got friends who are going to be at the draft. I got relatives who are season ticket holders, so I mean, they're all they're all do vested.
0: You, do you like know the guy who's going to hand the card to the commissioner
2: and all that kind of stuff? That I don't know. I, I haven't really pressed all that hard. Okay. I just thought, hey, that's really cool. You're working on the draft.
0: Uh simulcast NFL Network, ABC, ESPN, and ESPN Deportes. <clears throat> Thursday, April 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Prime time is the first round. Rounds two and three on Friday at seven. And then Saturday, May 1st at noon is the rest of it. Rounds four through seven. Andrew Glukov, Statboy Drew on Twitter. Thank you so much for enlightening us. On the NFL draft, uh, we are putting nothing at stake on our on our picks, but uh, you know this is our this is this is one of our big weekends. So, uh, so I know you'll be watching. I know we'll be watching. It should be a lot of fun. Enjoy it, Drew.
2: I will. Thank you, guys.
0: All right, stick around. We come back. Lots more to talk about. Eric and I will riff a little bit on tennis and golf. The country club sports at UCF are doing things, and then we'll also talk a little bit later about baseball and softball and uh, a record in UCF track. Stick around, I'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here. Uh, let's talk. A, let, let's head to the Country Club, Eric. That's the place we belong. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. But I'll tell you know you know UCF belongs near the top of your tennis and golf rankings. And boy, did we have a weekend for uh, UCF tennis! First of all. Men's tennis on uh Saturday. Uh or Sunday rather. Uh they are no I'm sorry, that wasn't oh, right. right. I got it, it right. Saturday, yeah. women's what Sunday. am I saying? Saturday the men at home sweep USF to win their first ever American Athletic Conference Tournament Championship. They had struggled for so long under John Roddick uh to just get over that hump, right? Just like men's soccer, right? Uh they had come up short in three of the last four years in the championship. Uh, but they finally break through to win their first conference crown since 2005. They do it in dominating fashion. Uh, they get the sweep. Uh, they picked up the doubles point. Trey Hildebrand actually finished it off. Um, while Gabe DeCamps, who was originally, initially struggled, actually lost his doubles match and then kind of came back and was winning his singles match when the, when the dual match officially ended, um, yeah, this was this was big, and they moved up to number eleven in the ITA. Uh, you know, number effort. nine in the
1: Oracle one now. Number, number
0: nine, nine in the Oracle, right? That's that. That's they, they right now. They are like we said from earlier this year, bona fide national contender. And what a great moment for John Roddick in particular, who's real, who's you know rebuilt this program into a national contender, and really in a short amount of time. It takes a while to. You know, we talk about like microwave dynasties and stuff all the time. Like football, I think you know you can you can move along pretty quickly, right? Tennis and golf and those sports on the Olympic side, they take a while to develop into a real power. And he has done it quickly here in four seasons, and they're going to be one of
1: the teams to watch out for in the NCAA's. Oh, there's no doubt; they're a national title contender. It helps that they don't have to get on a bus or travel with pretty much the entire postseason will be in their backyard. I tweeted this out on Saturday when they won the championship. And I will say it here on the podcast. When we look back at the Danny white era, the mainstream media obviously will focus on the hires of Scott Frost being maybe the best hire or maybe Abe or et cetera. And I, I get all that, but if you really go pound for pound, the best hire Danny white made in his era, was john roddick because john roddick basically helped fix two programs he was named the director of tennis which is not a position you give you know that's not that was a created position that's how they got him out of oklahoma uh first of all the fact he even got him to leave oklahoma was incredible i remember when that came out the tennis college tennis world was shocked so to bring him here and nothing against the tennis program from before, but let's be honest. The tennis program has been at the bottom. Like, I think if primarily Criminally to-
0: under-invested.
1: Right. Like, if we rank this, the, the programs, tennis was at the bottom. And to be and now, this will be, what, three NCAA tournaments, a conference championship. He hires Brian Koneko, who has helped turn around the women's tennis program. You've got two top conference national title contenders- this is all under John Roddick's watch. We had John Roddick on earlier this year. I recommend you if you go back to our archives and, and listen to that. And and just the vision he's had for these tennis programs has been remarkable. It's been a remarkable story, an underreported story, how this tennis program has gone from where it was to where it is today. It's really, to me, it's the story of the year right now in UCF Athletics. Uh, you know, as far as on the field, obviously the fo- the coaching changes in football will be the top stories we look back. But I'm talking just from a an incredible story in college athletics. What this tennis program has formed is incredible. The they finished the season,
0: or they fi- or they haven't finished the season. They're, they're still playing. They're 21 and three. They've won 13 in a row. 13 in a row. Their last loss. Was to Georgia, who was number seventeen in the country uh, at the time. Uh, they lost four to two. They lost, you know, at the wire to Texas A and M at home. They lost five to two to Florida in the in the season opener. And I think if those two teams played together played again today, it would be a much different situation. But uh, you know, right now, looking at the at the Division One men's uh, team rankings, and this is up to the second it the Oracle ITA um oh yeah you're right they're not 11. they're ninth um and behind texas a&m who they lost to behind florida uh, texas a&m's at eight uh florida's at two so and florida's at 20 and two overall number one is baylor at 28 and four but um yeah this is a team that i think is very dangerous in this field. Uh, and could really pose a problem for somebody, especially when you consider the fact that, like you said, Eric, they're going to be playing a lot of this tournament at home. I think the first two rounds are at predetermined sites, but they haven't announced that yet, right?
1: Uh, no, I agree with you. Uh, I, they have not announced it yet, but I would assume they're in good position to host that as well. Yeah. So we're going to have to wait until... We see, sele- what is the selection show? It's Monday, Monday, May Monday, okay. 3rd, 6.30 on NCAA.com. The same day as the women. The women will be at 6 Eastern. The men will be at 6.30. So that's when we'll know the, the brackets.
0: All right. Uh, and just to update you on some of the individual rankings, uh, Gabe DeCamps right now is in 10th in the singles rankings. Uh, Liam Draxel of Kentucky is number one. Uh, and then in the doubles rankings, uh, rankings. Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel are top ten. Now they're at number nine with a nine and one record. Uh and uh let's see, I think there was one more. Yeah, Gabe DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand eight and four together, thirty seventh. So that gives you an idea of where um of where UCF's individual players are in the double because that you know, that's important for after the team championships is the singles and doubles championships too. It's right. Really and the important. individuals
1: will get announced as well on that yeah. selection show. You're right.
0: And watch out for Juan Pablo Grassi-Mizuki, too, who was the most outstanding player of the tournament. He's 87th right now in the country. I wonder if he's going to get a bid in singles. I don't know how many how many they let in, but um, yeah, I think he might be on the outside looking in just barely. But uh, on the other side, okay, we talked about the men on Saturday. On Sunday, the women got their chance. And it was a little bit more of a battle, I think, than uh, than most were anticipating. But then again, it was against Tulsa. So, of course, it's going to be a battle. But they got it done. Uh, four to one. Uh, they win three matches in three days against South Florida, Houston, and Tulsa uh, in order to win the American. It's the second consecutive American Athletic Conference Tournament Championship. Of course, remember last year, it was post- it was canceled. Um but uh, they finished the uh, or they're through the conference tournament at eighteen and four, having won six in a row. Uh, and they, I, I think that they're where, where the men are kind of really coming on as uh, and making a lot of noise. I feel like the women's team is really flying under the radar right now, and they're going to be a tough out.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. And well, they have the veterans that were part of the Sweet Sixteen team in 2019, so they've been through this before. I think they know what's ahead of them is the big picture there, but they're, yeah, they're I mean, not
0: going to be starstruck by anything. Yeah,
1: I'm not saying that they were before. I mean, they made a
0: they made a Sweet Sixteen run. They're out in pe- lost out in Pepperdine, which is a tough place to play right. anyway. Right. But uh, you know, yeah, I I feel like there's there there is a little bit of a stick in their craw. I think from that, don't you think?
1: I think so. I think they have that experience. That's why I think they're you know they're it'll be interesting to see where they get seated when the brackets come out and how the field looks. But you know, they're ranked number eight right now in the latest poll. So, uh. They're veteran. They're deep. You know, that match in the championship was weird because they had to take it indoors because of the weather. So right. So the championship was dis- described on indoors. So unfortunately, the, the unfortunate thing about that is you didn't get to see the women's play on ESPN+. They got put back to, uh, I believe, the USTA uh, stream, which is great. But right. they took care of business indoors. You know, and that's an adjustment period to go from, you know, you're planning going outdoors. I'm sure there was an adjustment period there, but they overcame it. They're deep. They're talented. They can make deep runs. There's no, re- you know, the expectations for both programs is to try to get to that NCAA championship in the last week or two in their backyard where they don't lose. Mm-hmm.
0: They're eight. Uh, 18- Once again, they're 18 and four, eighth in the country, just ahead- just behind NC State and ahead of Baylor. Seven teams in front of them from seven to one. NC State, Florida State, UCLA, Pepperdine, who they lost to in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Georgia, Texas, North Carolina. North Carolina is undefeated at twenty six and zero. But I would put UCF up against any of those teams. I think they would, they they can they can run with them. In, they can run with any one of them. I think there's no especially doubt about in, right Especially
1: now. in their backyard. Yeah. They they've built a home court advantage, and I think they'll get a lot of support. I think people are starting to catch on to this uh, because this is legit here. These are two teams that could win the national championship or at least make a deep run into it. And that's uh, it's pretty remarkable story again. What John Roddick and Brian have built, uh, it's insane that that we're saying that. But that's where we're at. Uh, Valeria
0: Zaleva, uh, who was a key, who is obviously key for UCF, their top singles player in the ITA rankings, seventeenth in the nation in singles. Uh, UCF also has Rebecca Stolmar at uh, number thirty-seven in the singles rankings as well. So we may very well see both of them in the uh, singles tournament when we get around to it. Uh, in the NCAA's. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about golf. Uh, UCF women's golf, or, or let's start with men's golf. Actually, I want to start with them because uh, they finished uh, in fourth place in the American tournament, and that's pretty much the end of their season. Am I right, Eric? Because uh, no, no, I mean, i mean not you're... necessarily okay. So tied for next... fifth, I should
1: say. Next week, they will be in the, the selection show for the men. will come out next Wednesday. That is next week. Okay. The men's ranking is 68. I mean, you talk about a bubble. That's the bubble. I mean, it's a 72-team field in golf. So uh, that could go either way. Who's, where are the, re- you know, I do think geography plays a role in that to some extent. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't well, like. Well, if that's it. the case, I then I think they should be in good shape. We're in Florida after all. Yeah, but I wouldn't make plans. I wouldn't make plans for the tournament. It's really going to be tight, and I don't know if they'll make it or not at sixty-eight. If they were in the, I wish they were in the fifties. If they would, I think if they would have had a better showing in the American, uh, you know, that might have yeah. g- helped them in. I think I think they're going to fall short, but I'm not going to close the book either. So I, I think we should leave it open and hope for the best next week for them. Uh, but certainly a fifth place, this you know, being in their backyard, I think they probably thought they could do better than that. But the league is strong the league is strong and so uh, we'll see what happens
0: now countering that the women's team uh they found out today that they are in the ncaa regionals they will be heading to louisville uh, they're the number nine seed in the louisville regional uh this is uh and they and they did receive that at large bid to the uh ncaa regionals despite the fact that they finished uh fourth in the american championship which uh uh, head coach Emily Marin had said uh, after the match that she was kind of disappointed in in how yeah. they played that tournament. They they were first after the first round. Um, Emily said, uh, this is the quote from her according to UCF, quote, We are a little disappointed in our finish today. It takes all five players stepping up, and we just didn't get that. I'm proud of Pat Pitten for her best fit finish of the spring. We're excited for an opportunity to meet the NCAA regionals in a few weeks. Well they were st- they still kind of had to sweat it out a little bit, but they yeah, do. Go I mean to- they did and
1: they didn't. I mean they're, they're kind of their RPI, their number was like in the 32, 33 range. 33, right. Yeah, so they were gonna get in. I think she was disappointed because they were they had a chance to make a they didn't make a run. She was hoping they could make a run at the leaderboard at that last day, and they didn't do it. And I think she was disappointed by that. But as a result, they're a nine seed in the Louisville region. It's a very stacked regional South Carolina. Uh, if you fi- you know, if you read some of the golf people that follow this, they're a national title contender. Auburn is very good as well uh, at Florida State speaks for itself, Texas. So it's a very loaded deal. But, you know, as Coach Marin has told me in the past, and I'm sure has told you, I mean, you're not playing these schools. You're playing the golf course. Right. So it's about the golf course there at the Simpsonville, Kentucky. She's familiar there. So we'll see how they go. Big thing, too. This is the seventh time in the Emily Marin era they've gotten to the NCAA tournament. Remember, last year they probably would have been a tournament team, but COVID obviously shut that down. And then the two years she didn't make it with the team, she got individuals into the NCAA tournament. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's now at seven teams. She's taken seven teams to the tournament. That ties in 10 for years. the third most, right? Third most in UCF history right now. She's among among you know, if you count bowl games, Georgia Leary, for example, went to seven bowl games with ucf uh bryce uh, coach waller at men's golf seven times renee gillespie ucf softball seven times to the tournament she's top three now she's tied with those group for third most in the history of ucf coaches jay bergman is number two i think he made it eight or nine times with baseball then amanda Cromwell, 11 times to the ncaa tournament is the best for any ucf coach uh in history but emily Marin, man under you talk about under the radar under the radar, coach. Here, the consistency that she's built here at UCF women's
0: golf. Solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. Can't ask anything more of that of that group. And uh, I tell you, it's there. And I mean, what can you say? You can't argue with those results either. I mean, seven out of ten years—that's hard to do. I mean, especially in a sport like golf, where it is—it's it, it, a—it's a, it's a crapshoot every single time. I mean, you don't know how you're going to come out from day in to day out. Uh, nothing is a sure thing, but they again are going back to the ncaa tournament so and
1: they should be a, a pretty solid contender up in louisville the, the highest compliment is now it's to the point she's built it where you're surprised if they don't make the tournament right that right. wasn't always the case that's not it was though that was never always the case prior uh, right that people kind of assume they just make it every year that's not true so um she's on track to be maybe the greatest women's golf coach in the history of the program
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right so uh, congrats to uh, UCF women's Go- and a couple other things that we wanted to pass on. Congratulations to, uh, Anna Laura Collado and, uh, and, and, and Pat Pitton, who were both main to the, uh, named to the all-conference team, uh, for the American too. And they will be key to UCF if they want to make it to the NCAA, uh, championship, which would be, you know, I think it's the top, is it the top four make it, I think, Eric? I don't remember how the numbers work. I forget on exactly that. how yeah. it was. I think I it's the top I'm four I'm in each
1: region. Might be, but uh let's just yeah. uh yeah. The easiest yeah, finish very high and the top four you probably get it. Yeah. That's right. probably easy, But
0: All right. So and uh we're hoping to have Emily uh, hoping to hear from Emily. Yeah, actually, in the next I'm week. Seeing, in right? the
1: next week. We hope to get her on before She's they have to Such head a great
0: tomorrow. interview. I love talking to Emily Marin. She's so Fantastic. good. And she, by the way, also A plus Twitter follow for Amen for, to that. I agree. Uh, in in the UCF community. A plus. Twitter follow. She is the best.
1: Well, You know she'll be doing two things this weekend. She will be obviously preparing her team for the tournament and watching a UCF alum in the PGA Tour, isn't she, Jeffrey? That's right. And,
0: uh, and this is a good story that this is such a cool story that came out Um, and it went viral on, P- on the PGA because of a video that they showed. Alright, so every uh golf tournament, every PGA golf tournament, they have a Monday qualifier where, you know, uh, local guys can actually try and qualify for the tournament and uh this week the tournament is, uh, this week's tournament is the Valspar championship which being which is being held in the Tampa area and you've probably seen the video already but it's but Michael Visaki um uh won the qualifier and will participate in the uh tournament his first ever PGA Tour uh appearance now Michael Visaki Played at UCF for one season in 2012-2013 for Bryce Waller was pretty good um, yeah, as a freshman. Pr- probably had a shot to be you know to to improve as a uh, as a college student, but decided after one year to to just turn pro. So he played on a minor tour. He's been on a minor tour for us uh, for the better part of this decade. 164 starts on the West Florida uh, tour. Um, and you know, over the, over the, he's won 37 events on the West Florida tour. And these are events that are like one or two day events. And he's won some about $140,000, but over the course of like 10 years, that's not a lot of money. And you, and, and I actually linked to his profile in the story and you see the money he's once like a thousand dollars here, $250 there, you know, I mean, almost like sometimes he's like covering his green fees. Right. Well. He wins the uh, he, he wins the the uh, qualifier on Monday, and he calls his dad, and there's a camera right in front of him, and uh, and you can hear him um, talking to uh, you know, talking to his dad, and he's in tears, fighting back tears, um, talking to his uh, talking talking to his father, telling him, "Dad, I made it," and uh, I mean, wow, what a what a moment it is for him after i mean that's that's a real golf life story right um playing in all these tournaments and keep fighting to you know fighting to get the dream to to achieve the dream and he finally did it he finally finally did it after all of those tournaments you know these these little tournaments up and down florida he's going to get the chance to play in a PGA event and a shout out to our boy uh, uh Anthony Lenahan, who gave us an update uh, on and kind of fill this in on everything so the story is uh he, he obviously he doesn't get his tour card uh he's only qualified for this week uh for that event if he gets a top if he finishes in the top 10 he gets to go to uh the next tournament if he wins the tournament then he gets his tour card and an exemption to next year's Valspar OK, so that is th- that alone is a, uh, you, you know, I mean, that's that's something to play. For. But I don't think he's even thinking about that. I think he's just he's just happy that he got in. And um, wow. I mean, just w- what a moment for Michael Vlasaki. And, and he's kind of become the uh, the local fan favorite this week as well. Getting ready for the Valspar uh, Championship, uh, which will be uh, Thursday through which will be uh, Thursday through Saturday. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that. And I know he's going to be the guy who UCF fans are going to be keeping a close eye on too, Eric, right?
1: No question about that. Uh, by the way, that team he was in in 2013, that's a pretty legendary team that UCF Yeah, they went here. to the
0: NCAAs, and he actually played in the NCAAs.
1: Yes, finished a team finished tied for 16th in the NCAA championships. They finished in the top 26 in the rankings by Gulfstat. They won three tournaments that year. They finished third in the Conference USA championship. They finished runner-up, in the NCAA Temple uh, Tempe Regional to advance to the NCAA Regionals, uh, that's one of Waller's best teams, and you could argue maybe his best team uh, since that's the you know it's right there, right in the mix yeah. there. But you look he at was that, a, he was a freshman and made the rotation right. late in and the season. Look, that's 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 not easy to do. Well, especially the roster he had. He had Greg Eason who is, is one of the more decorated UCF players, I think was his conference USA player of the year when his career Mm -hmm. and all in that. And then a kid by the name of Ricardo Gavea, who is playing playing professionally in Europe. And I actually ranked him in my top 10 as far as UCF athletes of all time, because he's participated in the Olympics. He's had a, you know, in the pro careers, he's been playing in the European League. So as of now, as of this weekend, you, that team now could say they've had two guys that have gone on to play professionally in the tour, yeah. either Europe or the, in the United States. So that's a stacked team. And that's kind of why he kind of got lost in the shuffle. He was a youngster compared to those guys.
0: Right, right. Uh, Greg Eason has had his – has uh, shown up a couple times over in Europe. He's actually from England. That's right. Um, and uh, he's won so, He's had oh, a top 10. He had a second place. Or five top ten, uh, five top ten finishes in his uh, in his career, uh, one top ten finish in his most recent season, 2019.
1: So, yeah, Easton. By the way, I I gave him I shortened him on credit. He was an American Conference Player of the Year and a CUSA Player of the Year. You could argue just from a college career only, <laughs> from a college career only, you could argue that Greg Easton maybe is the best UCF golfer they've had from a college career. Uh, right. Now, now, I mean. I'm saying that because they've had some tremendous pros that have gone on one guy that you covered back in your Georgia days and Robert Damram. maybe he's yeah. probably, maybe he's the one and Greg, he would probably be regarded as the greatest UCF golfer across the board, him and Cliff Kresge, who are both played in the PGA. So, but this and, is an and awesome Robert's going to be covering this story, I think too, for, on his gig for the uh, golf channel. Is he not? I think I, he might be right. Cause you're right. He does some work for the golf channel. That would, if I was, if I was working at the golf channel, that's exactly who I would assign it to. That'd be yep. perfect. That's All a right, good point.
0: So. That'll be fun. How about we'd love to see Robert Dameron do it, do an interview and mention UCF with, uh, with. We gotta uh, get Robert. Sackett. We're gonna get
1: Robert. We're gonna get Robert. I want to get him on there
0: because yeah. I want, I want to, I want to take him back to his second professional win at, the, uh, in were, Athens at the were you uh, there? Athens? Yeah, I was there. I covered it. It was the Athens Regional uh, Memorial Classic, uh, in the, uh, Athens Regional Foundation Classic. He won it in a playoff over a guy named Greg Owen who is uh, from England and. I was there one with a birdie on the on the last hole, on the first extra hole. I was there. I interviewed him. It was great. It was. I was. I was like, dude, UCF. He's like, I think kind of like pass around. He's like, you're a UCF, guy? Yeah, but we'll have to. Yeah, we'll have to get Robert. I would love to talk to him about that and his career and how he how his approach uh, to you know being an analyst now on TV because you know if uh, and and his time at UCF. He was a he was a he was an excellent golfer at UCF and, can, and was an excellent golfer by every right. Uh, in his uh, in his time as a pro, and now he's on TV, so that'll be fun. All right, took a break. When we come back, we got baseball, we got softball, we got track, we got a few more things to talk about here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. We're we'll right back. We're back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here uh, talking about UCF uh, softball and baseball, and I want to start with baseball here. Eric Lopez, uh, because they did something that I didn't think, and I, I didn't think even Murph thought was possible. They got a split. Obviously, he didn't think uh, so. He left. He split. He didn't even want yeah, to wait for the he team. He just took on. off, bailed on Black and Gold banner before he had the chance to do it. <laughs> Mr. MLB. Uh, com he, guy. He leaves, mover. and what happens? UCF takes two out of four from the number nine team in the country and the number one team in the American. Uh, the ECU Pirates, and probably could have taken three out of four. Uh, they get the series split with the win on uh, Sunday, uh, and they split, or, or, with a, or rather with a, uh, sorry, let me go back and talk about it. So ECU won the first game 4-2 to on Friday. It was a doubleheader. UCF won the second game, though, 10-5, put a 10 spot on the board. Uh, Saturday, Pirates win 11-8. That was the game where UCF had a couple shots to win it. Uh, but uh, the Knights won Game Four, six to one, and on top of that, this is despite the fact that Colton Gordon did not pitch yeah. for UCF this weekend for what we don't know the reason why. I mean, it could be an injury. Love Lady could have decided to rest him. We don't know. But two out of four ain't bad in this case, especially against a team as as strong as ECU is. Uh, we talked about the power that they that they presented to play. Really good pitching. But UCF stood toe-to-toe with them throughout this entire week, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it was a really well-played series. Uh, they got they earned that split. Jack Sinclair was the story on, in the last game of the series. He was tremendous, allowing just one run, striking out seven. What a, what a seven. great start
0: for that kid, huh? His Boy, best start. Yeah. His
1: best start. And look, they got a split. How significant was that split? Their RPI going into that series was 137. It jumped all the way to 88. They have not been under 100 the whole season from an right. RPI standpoint. So it, it, it gave them a life pulse, honestly, for the season. Now they can say they have two wins over East Carolina and two wins against Ole Miss. Those are top 15 teams. You know, can they, if they can get on a run now, you know, they won three out of four against South Florida the weekend before, you get a split against ECU if you can play your best, now we don't know what Colton Gordon's status is. We don't know what the situation is there. We'll hopefully find out. We'll definitely find out this weekend when they play Memphis. But if this team can go on a run, they got 16 conference games left, all right? They got four with Memphis this weekend. They've got, Uh, four at Tulane, which is looming big. Tulane Mm -hmm. is the second best RPI team right now. Probably uh, D1 Baseball has them as the second team as far as the tournament team. Because I do think the American will get at least a second team in, if not more. It's been a down year. But if you look at the geography of college baseball, a lot of South schools, in particular SEC and ACC schools, are going to host. You kind of need teams from the American to get into the tournament. So I think the committee – We'll look for that, and I think UCF has a shot if they can go finish strong. Now they're hosting Memphis, host Wichita State at Tulane, host Houston. If I if they can go twelve and four, let's say twelve and four, that would put them uh, at thirty one and twenty five. I think that gets them right in the mix into the bubble going into the conference tournament, which also- is pretty you know remarkable considering the hole they've dug themselves into.
0: That also would put them at in conference. They would be, you said 12 and four, they would be 21 and 11 in the conference,
1: which is the fifth strongest conference this year in college baseball. Yeah. I think that would certainly make a statement there. Um, and they would get them back in the mix. And, and the thing about the Love Lady teams here, they usually finish the season strong. So you hope that this is the turning point here that they can start playing their best baseball. And I think they need to pound Memphis this weekend. They need to win at least three out of four there. And, and I think the season still has a shot here to be salvaged. And look, I understand a lot of people have already turned, you know, they're upset about the season. It's kind of funny how, you know, baseball people turn their backs on them. Here's my question to you, Jeff. Why are our expectations for this baseball program out of whack? And here's why I say that. I feel like we have this expectation that the baseball program should be a top 25 team every year. And yet, since and Four, which was the last when they made the regional final in Tallahassee when they were mm-hmm. a member of the A Sun. That was
0: their State. last year. That was the last year in the A Sun.
1: Oh, 05 was their last year. They didn't make the tournament. Oh, 05, yeah, o-
0: you're right. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: 04 was the last year they made the tournament as an A Sun member. They were a win away. They lost. They ran into Stephen Drew in Florida State. Since 05, this program has only made the tournament three times. Won one conference title, which was in seventeen. That was a love lady coach team. Are we, I mean, why, why don't we, I feel like we kind of keep pushing this narrative that we should be this power in baseball, but the the stats and the history suggest that we're really not like even, even in the Jay Bergman era, as great as that era was, it wasn't like UCF made the tournament every year. He only made the tournament, I think nine times out of like 20 years or forever. So I feel like people have this standard, like they think baseball should be like football and it's not. You look at South Florida, they have not had success in the postseason as far as the NCAA, making the NCAA tournament consistently either. Um, I would argue that Miami hasn't been Miami in de- in a decade or so. Uh, in fact, one of the latest projections doesn't even have a team from the state of Florida hosting a regional right now. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be better. I'm not saying that they you know there's not reason to be disappointed. I think Coach Lovelady and the staff would be disappointed where they're at right now. But I also feel it's gotten carried away in my opinion. Well, I I think
0: what, what you're talking about is the difference in competition between the Atlantic sun era and the conference USA slash American era. And I think in baseball, you can put the two together because there are obviously a number of teams that traveled with UCF to, to the American from conference USA who are competitive in the American in baseball. Now Tulane ECU, obviously among them. Um, in the A sun this is the part that's easy for everyone to forget in the A sun there were basically two schools that can compete with UCF on a yearly basis in the A sun florida atlantic and stetson that's it all right georgia you, once in a while you'll have a run from a team like georgia state or whatever but, or mercer or something but it that was pretty much it. it it was a it was a bit of a surprise when UCF would lose one of the three games against against one of those teams that weren't FAU or Stetson, right? Those were the big series every year. And in the years where it didn't work out for UCF, it was one of those two teams that actually that actually got it done. The talent in the American right now is much better and you've said this many times before where the American does rank near as one of the top conferences in mm-hmm. the in the United States in baseball year in and year out and still does even despite the fact it's down by their standards. Yeah. It's down by their standards. And I think that I I think that part of that has to do with this is the first year that Yukon's not in the not in the league and Yukon yeah. is traditionally very good oh, in baseball. Yeah. Coach
1: Penders, yeah, that hurt. That hurt a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that's like losing UConn, that hurt I think that hurt baseball well, oh, more yeah. than basketball.
1: Absolutely. I, I agree. That's a hot take. I get that. But I do agree, Jim Penders and UConn that hurt the baseball more because that was an extra team right. in the fielders. Yeah, you know, and, and they were and they were consistent. Like UConn yeah, basketball yeah, yeah. since Jim Calhoun
0: retired has been on a steady decline. I think that's that that's pretty clear. But UConn baseball they were a favorite to win the American every single year.
1: They were all, and they were a tournament team. You could count on them to be yeah. basically a tournament team. Correct.
0: So they were as sure a thing as you would get in the American. So. Um, you know, this year you got Tulane at ten and one right now in the league. They're in first place, ECU at ten and two, and all this and all of a sudden, right when everyone was ready to throw in the towel, look who's lurking in third place, UCF right. at nine and seven. Yep. So uh if and, they and get, can, like you said, if they can put this together down the stretch, if they if they can get three out of four, if they can win three out of every four, I'm not saying that they have to win three of four. If they can win, you know, three out of every four and get that. Well, that's that kind of what I did and 12 mark. and four. That's what I yeah. did 12 and four. No, no. Yeah, to, to reemphasize what you're saying, 12 and four down the stretch. And then if you get a good showing in the tournament, you know, maybe you get to the championship game. Who knows? You know, this is, a, this is right. one of those
1: years. Again, this, so this could get real up- interesting. Right, Baseball's a long year. I just don't get the, ne- you know, I get the negativity. I get the frustration. But I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Jake Bergman. They made the tournament nine times in the 25 years he was there. It wasn't like we were there 22 out of 25. Right. I just, and look. Although nine out
0: of 25 ain't bad, to be honest. No,
1: no, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying like people, I think think there's a lot of people that think that baseball should be the tournament every year. And I got to tell you, college baseball, of all the sports, probably has the most parity across the country. The, The difference between number one and number 50 in college baseball is not much. Not much at all, and I just don't look. I get. I just don't get the negativity. Like I don't. Greg Lovelady can coach. He got right state to regional final. He's won a conference championship here. They've been one of the last four teams out the last couple times. I think they would have been a tournament team last year. I think baseball got hurt the most of all the casualties of the COVID sports uh, getting canceled last year. I think baseball got hurt the most because I thought that team was his best team he's had. And I think mm-hmm. they would have been a title contender and they would have made a tournament, and it's always going to be a what if there. And I get that look, this year a lot of things haven't gone well. Injuries, uh it, you know, things like that have hurt this team. But I I don't, you know, I'm not waving I am not waving the white flag on this team. I think this team has still got an opportunity. But they got to win. They got to win games. I'll, you know, they got. And I think they got to get to that thirty-one, thirty-two win mark. And I think if they do that, which would in, would include a, a series win over Tulane on the road, they could be that mix to be that second or third team yeah. from the American and maybe sneak into the tournament. It, you know, assuming they pick up a couple other wins in the conference tournament. So let's see what happens. Let's see what, that's all I'm saying. Let's see what happens. Stop being so, you know, being snarky with your comments every time I'm trying to be k- positive on the baseball front. I, I have
0: crazy. a feeling this rant is for an audience of one.
1: Well, was just like, look, they split with ECU. I didn't expect that, did you? I mean, they played well. I mean, that's it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And look, if they lose to Memphis, then yeah, that's disappointing. But I also think we got to, look, I've been to John Giuliano Park. The renovations have been good. I've also been to Dick Howser Stadium. I've been to Mark Light. Those are the two great baseball stadiums. Like, it, it I think there's a lot, this baseball job. It's yeah, the baseball, Yankee
0: Stadium in Fenway Park of college
1: baseball. Right. I just think there's a lot more, there's a lot more hurdles that I think people realize when it comes to UCF baseball. And I know that sounds like I'm making excuses, and I'm not. And I think Greg Lovely to be the first to tell you they're disappointed where they're at right now. But I also don't think their season's over, and I don't think the program is, like, is in this like massive trouble that some suggest.
0: Yeah, the far from, season is far from over right now, and I always go back to you talk about parody in college baseball. I always talk about it before. I watched, I, I watched the team that I thought was by far and away the best in the country, Georgia, get beat. Gordon Beckham and team.
1: company. Yeah, Gordon
0: Beckham, and they got beat by Fresno State, right? A fourth seed in a regional. A for, who barely <laughs> snuck into the right. tournament that year, and yeah. then. And then if you want, if you and if you're like, yeah, well, Jeff, that was 11 years ago. Guess what? Coastal Carolina 2016 won the College World Series, and they beat mighty Arizona. So, yep. just you never know. There's there is so much parity in the sport, and that's what makes it that's what makes it difficult. It's you. It's hard to make the. It's hard to be. Con- con- it's hard. Be, it's hard to be consistent at that yes. consistent. At yes, top, year in and year And by well, the way, it's only going to get harder with the rules now, with the transfer portal, and with the minor leagues changing now, right? Yeah, so I agree. I agree. We're going to have a distribution of better players throughout the country. So it's going to be harder to be consistent.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I just like I said, look, a lot of things haven't gone well for this team. I mean, we don't know what happened with Colton Gordon right now. We don't – We hopefully he'll be back this weekend. We don't know. Uh, remember, they've lost guys due to injuries. Some guys have struggled. Baseball's such a fickle sport, right? I mean, yeah. not, not to like – I mean, I would do this normally in honor of Murph. Gary Sanchez is a great example, like two, three years ago, right? You as a Yankee fan, you're thinking this guy could be a hall of fame catcher, tremendous power, all-star. Now the guy's barely hitting 180, and he's splitting time with catching. And he may, you know, I really baseball.
0: didn't need you to remind me of this, but anyway,
1: no, I, I understand, but I figured out I, 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 I have to, I always did it to Murr. So I, I have to live on the tradition, but the point is baseball, such a fickle sport, man. You could be good one day, bad. the It's such a weird sport, random sport.
0: All right. Well, uh, Speaking of weird random sports, how about UCF softball, Eric Lopez? <laughs> yeah. Uh swept the Tigers back on track, right? After some after some fits and starts in conference play. They kind of like didn't get going, right? But how about the weekend that Gianna Mancha threw? Uh Friday, second game of the series against Memphis. She throws a no hitter. She <laughs> thirteen strikeouts and an eight nothing win. And then, on Sunday, she almost pulls a Johnny Vandermeer. Yeah. She takes a no-hitter into the seventh before it got broken up with a home run. She almost, she threw, what what did it come out to, Eric? 13 or 12 and one-third yeah, 13, innings?
1: 13 innings. Oh, 13, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it would have been 12 innings plus, basically, of no 12 hits. plus innings of no-hit ball. Cause they had a them the first day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, 18th no hitter in program history. She was dominant. I mean, they dominated Memphis. They needed to dominate Memphis. Memphis was the worst team in the league. It was a good team to play to get your offense back healthy a little bit, get some confidence back and their pitching was dominant and they needed to do what they needed to do, which was sweep Memphis, you know, get to 34 wins, uh, which by the way, with their next win, that matches their 2019 season with their next win, whenever that happens, That'll be the most wins they've had since 2016. So, uh, you know, that was positive. It was a good bounce back after a tough Wichita State Series. But this team's fine. Look, they're 31 in the RPI. They're going to make the tournament. It's a matter of now finishing strong and, and seeing what happens. Now, the conference situation is kind of a long shot, but that's okay. What you want to do now is kind of get ready, finish strong here. You got Ole Miss, who's really good. Mm-hmm. Then South Florida, and then you got the conference tournament in Tulsa. You want to feel, finish strong here. Try to win the conference tournament. You need a lot of help to win the regular season. I wouldn't bank on that, but it's a strong team. And uh, boy, Shannon Doherty's tremendous. Jada Cody, by the way, UCF fifty-two home runs as a team, breaking the record held by the two thousand five team, which you were you were witness to in person for most home runs. In a single season, this team's already done that in 46 games. I think the 05 team did it in 77 games, to give you an idea. UCF is one of – there are seven teams that play softball in the
0: American. They are one of four who are above five hundred. Houston, ECU, and Memphis are the ones bringing up the rear. But there's this really big logjam up at the top, Eric, with Tulsa and USF tied yeah. at the top at 12-3 and three in the conference. Wichita State at 15-4-1, UCF at 13-6-1. This is this is going to be a, a real ringer down the road for, yeah. for softball right now.
1: By the way, credit to the league. Uh, you know, yeah. The league is, again, number five. It sounds like a broken rate. They're the fifth-strongest conference in college softball this year. That's even with Houston struggling. Imagine if Houston was up to the par where they normally would be. This would probably be a top-four league. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Wichita State's very good. They just knocked off Oklahoma State this uh the other night again, who's ranked in the top ten Oklahoma State. Uh South Florida, they have the best pitcher in the country, in the in the league, I should say. In Georgina, Coric they're making their move. Tulsa's very good. Dallas is a nice pitcher. Uh, I think this league is a three-bid league, could be a four-bid league by the by the time this this the the selection Sunday arrives on May 16th. It's a strong league. It's not like UCF's losing to bad teams, is kind of my point. I know that. People were disappointed and rightfully so, losing the Wichita and Tulsa series. But it's not like they're losing to bad teams. And I think I have to remind people of that.
0: Uh, this Ole Miss series that's mm. coming up. What do we yeah. know about what do we know about the Rebs right now?
1: Probably one of the surprises of the year. Uh Ole Miss, Jamie Traxels, the first year head coach, came over from Minnesota. That was the big offseason move uh in college softball coaching. Coming, you know, she led Minnesota to the women's college world series. Ruben Felix, our friend, who used to be UCF assistant, was the interim coach and an assistant mm-hmm. at Ole Miss for many times, but uh, was not retained. Uh, a lot of people didn't have high expectations this year. They thought it'd be a rebuild team, but they've been really good—thirty-one and sixteen. They're kind of this is a top twenty. Depending on which poll you look at, this is a top twenty-five series. Uh, they got a great pitcher in Anna Borgen, who's ten and four with a one and a half ERA. I would expect UCF to see her on Friday night. She's a senior. Um, They've got good pitching with a two ERA. Offensively, they've got some talented players. Uh, Paige Smith has some power. Interesting, a familiar name on the roster is Autumn Gillespie, who might be familiar to some softball fans. She was at UCF here in 2016, right. 17. Transferred to Ole Miss uh, and reunited with Ruben Felix and Mike Smith. So she's been at Ole Miss since 2018. So it's kind of funny that here it is in her super senior year. She'll be facing, you know, we talked about Riley Buck uh, mm-hmm. in a recent episode. Here's Autumn Gillespie, who's had a pretty good career at Ole Miss. So UCF will get to see her. It's a very tough series. You're going to Oxford. You're going to an SEC place. Uh, very interested to see how they match up. Interesting to see how they do the pitching matchups there with Aaliyah and Gianna. Do they use both of them for three games? And then who pitches the third game? Uh, but it's a good series. A very good series. Two good teams. Um, the winner of this series probably stays up or moves up in the top 25 and the loser probably drops out, but who cares? It's, it's (laughs) with both of these teams are tournament teams and uh, both trying to improve their resumes.
0: Eight games left for UCF before they remember they come back into conference. It's a long, seven games, seven games, seven Seven games. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought it was, for some reason, I keep thinking it was a three, four game series against Ole Miss is a three game set. Uh, They come back home for four against South Florida uh, on May 7th, through the ninth, including the doubleheader on uh, Saturday. And you'll be calling those, right, Eric, on, on Sa- when they come uh, back home for South Florida?
1: That's the plan. Uh, now, right. there's a chance that ESPN might pick up one of those games nationally. We'll find that out early Ooh. this week. We'll see. So that would not be good for me personally, but it'd be good for everybody else. So Good for the program. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. And that's senior weekend, by the way. So yeah, and that could have regular season title implications either with UCF or South Florida. Likely, it will. And then you have Coric and you got Aaliyah White and Jasmine. It'll be their final weekend at home, likely. So it'll be emotional with that rivalry, which has been, you know, it wasn't get played last year. By the way, depending when you listen to this, since by the time you this uh, listens, the regional host sites will be announced. It'll probably mm-hmm. be 20 sites will be announced for 16 spots. That's what I've heard. Uh, so that will give you an idea probably where UCF will end up. You'll have a pretty better idea, which probably will be Gainesville or Tallahassee.
0: South Florida's got a pretty easy weekend coming up. They're playing
1: ECU. That's correct. That's correct. So. ECU with uh, Allison Keim doing commentary on ESPN Plus with yeah. Drew Felios. Good for Allie
0: getting back about, in there, Yeah, huh? a little getting weird to be doing goals game.
1: games, but, you know, hey, man, you, you know. You we live won't live hold there. it against her. Paychecks are paychecks, you know. it's <laughs> right. So,
0: All right, so Ole Miss, uh, that series starts uh, on Friday at 7 uh, no word on TV
1: for SEC that one. Network SEC Plus. Network Plus. Yeah, okay, unlike so- Memphis, unlike Memphis, who decided, who could not stream the softball series because they're apparently shorthanded staff-wise, uh, Ole Miss does not have that problem. It will be all three games will be on SEC Network Plus.
0: And you can get that through the ESPN Plus app, right? Should be able to, yep. Okay, yep. all right. So that'll wrap it with softball. Last thing we want to talk about, track and field. We don't talk about, a lot about UCF track and field, but... We need to start paying real close attention because we got a real star in the making out here. Uh UCF had their home event uh this past week. Uh at the uh, uh at the night's invite. The star of the day was Raniah Jones. She's she competes in the hundred meter hurdle. She's a freshman. All right. She snaps off a new school record, not just a freshman record, which she already had this year, a personal record and a new school record in the 100 hurdles uh, of 12.73. Now, how good is that? That time qualifies her to try out for the U.S. Olympic team. That's how good that was. Smashed Jackie Coward's old school record by almost a tenth of a second uh and jackie tried out for the olympics a couple times too she, she's that good okay but Renaya, wow congratulations um she was fighting back tears in the video you could see we posted on our nightcap this past week when she realized what she had just done um not just breaking the school record but an olympic qualifying time um wow what a moment for her and what a moment for for ucf track and field which uh, you know, we've got some we've got some hurdlers out here at UCF that we've had for quite some time, uh, even going back to Jackie and uh, and and a couple other folks we've had. But to have a freshman post this kind of a a, a mark is really really amazing, and uh, wow, future's looking really bright for us track and field. We wanted to get that that shout out out there because yeah, what Dana a Boone, what a what a run, what a run.
1: Dana, Dana Boone, you know, took over a couple years ago, might have. Been- might have been one of Danny White's last hires, maybe. Um, you have to I have to look back at the uh, time period there, but might have been one of his last hires as, as far as a head coach is concerned. Um, it's kind of quietly building this program back up to what it was under Coach Gilbert mm-hmm. when they were in the heyday, where they were NCAA regionals and tournaments. And uh, they've got talent there with Brian Jackson, who's kind of runs the cross country aspect of it and is the assistant. They've kind of built there quietly some talent there on that roster. With track and field, and I think you know Valerie Lestrad kind of dominated the cross country. She was just a freshman, mm-hmm. made headlines. And you mentioned now Renaya Jones. They're starting to build around. I think track and field here is on the rise, and I'll be. And I think you'll see some possibly here a contender for the uh, making the tournament this year. So, uh, salute to Dana Boone and that staff for uh, what kind of turning that program around after kind of a couple years of rebuild. Well, this weekend they are in Jacksonville for the UNF Invitational, which is their last regular
0: season meet before the American Championships, which are in two weeks, May 14th. That's hosted by USF out in Tampa, May 14th through the 16th. NCAA East preliminaries are May 27th. So, again, UCF is aiming for that American Championship. Uh, whether or not they're the favorite right now, I don't know. Usually Houston's pretty good at it. Yeah,
1: when in doubt, just pick Houston. When it, yeah, when it, Leroy Burrell, Carl Leroy Lewis. Leroy Burrell, Carl Rowe. Lewis, all yeah. is,
0: they're all coaching there. Yeah. So... Uh, but uh, but they should contend. They should at least contend. Uh, well, and the, and the bright
1: time. side is exciting. There again, uh, the youth on this team is kind yeah. of the exciting thing about it. I mean, I, I, it, it, that's the thing that's really you could see that the, the turn. I mean, Jones is just a freshman. She's just a yeah. redshirt freshman. She's already setting records, and then Le- Lastra is a girl who could be the Anne Marie Blaney. The next Marie Blaine, She broke a lot of Blaine. records. Didn't she records. Bro- break Anne-Marie's, uh, a couple of Anne-Marie's freshman yes. records? Yes, during yeah. the cross country and then the indoor season as well. She's more of a distance run. She's the distance runner. But they've got talent here. They're young. And I think these are Coach Boone's recruits here. And I think uh, they're- we're heading back to what, what it was. Remember the Coach Gilbert? They were dominant teams. They were a perennial. Yeah. Ariel and it was a long
0: slog to get them to where they were in Carol Smith-Gilbert. That's how Carol Smith-Gilbert got the USC job. Yes.
1: Yes, and that's why I think I ranked her top 10, top 11 in the uh, head coaches there. But Dana Boone's done a good job. And, uh, again, I think that might have been one of, if not the last Danny White head coaching hire, it was one of the last hires he made here at UCF.
0: 2018 was when Dana came in. Yeah, I think that's right. I
1: mean, I'm trying to think who else would have been hired after that. Well, what time in 2018? Because did Cindy Ball come in? Cindy was summer of 18.
0: Summer of 18? uh, I I just had Dana's... But she, uh, Dana was hired June eighth.
1: Ooh, that's like neck and neck right there. Yeah. Wow,
0: I think they were hired within a week of each other. That might I'm be mistaken. true.
1: Well, they both have looked pretty good. So yeah. Danny, Danny White left us pretty good coaches. Yeah. J- breaking news. <laughs> hey, so left us some pretty good. You left us some pretty good coaches. Also took some coaches
0: with him. But anyway, let's. Yeah, we won't, we're not going to yeah, open that. We're not going into up. that. <laughs> we're not going into that. All right. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore banner at facebook.com slash black and gold banner. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez. Elo You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. And of course, black and gold banner at where we are your home for UCF sports, uh, on the SB nation network, where we got uh, lots of content coming at you every day, including our newsletter, which you can subscribe to thanks to Jeremy Brenner for putting that together every weekday, 9 a.m. The latest UCF sports related news in your inbox not just from us but around the world of UCF sports uh and uh also we're going to be and, and we're going to be uh pretty high up there this next couple days with the draft news uh Luke Saris has a couple previews up for uh Richie Grant Aaron Robinson we'll have a couple other things going up there as uh players as we do hear players get uh get selected we'll be sure to break that information for you uh as soon as that happens Eric's going to be a big week man
1: Man, it's NFL drafts fun. Let's enjoy it. Uh, and hopefully uh, we see the UCF guys end up in places we want them to end up and not against, you know, not- like, in my situation, I have to deal with Gabe Davis now a couple times a year. I want, yeah,
0: I want, I want the, I want my Giants to draft a UCF guy. I don't know who, I don't care. I think the Giants have drafted one UCF player in <laughs> franchise history. It was Darcy Johnson and and by the way, I always thank Darcy because he gave me an he gave me an autographed picture of him in a Giants uniform when he came down one time and I met him. He was doing a TV show with us and was, and, uh, and and my buddy Nate Califf told him he's like, you know, Jeff's a big Giants fan. And, he, and Darcy's like, really, you're a Giants fan? He's like, I'm right back. He went out to his car and got me a pit and got me a, a photo and signed it for him. He Said I have it hanging on my wall here on the Wall of Fame. So Giants, come on, let's get it together, guys. Let's get let's get somebody. Let's get Richie. Let's you get Richie, go. Richie or a Rob. Let's go. Or Tay. I'll take Tay. Let's do. I'll take you anybody. You need
1: help in the secondary. It sounds like you're calling
0: for secondary. Could use help. A, I want some secondary help. We need. All we right. need some. We need some. Uh, we need some receiver help too. I wouldn't mind getting Marlon. Okay. You know, take a flyer on Marlon. Late rounds. See what we All got. Right. Little All speed right. burner for uh, Daniel Jones to throw to. I'll take it. Marlon's got good hands. Just saying. What giants could use that. You got Galladay. Yeah. And we got Galladay. We got we got Evan Ingram coming back, but like. Well, he definitely needs help with the hands. Yeah, I know. I know. So. Anyway. I,
1: all right. That's all enough right. giant
0: talk for the show. I know. I'm done with that. NFL draft tomorrow. We'll be we'll be watching it, following along with you. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret for Eric and all of us here at Black Hill Banneret. I'm Jeff Singh. Thank you for listening. This has been the Black Hill Banneret podcast.